We started a series of messages last week, and I, I don't know if you've been with us or you missed uh, that first part, but it's, uh, we're talking about social networking. Living Social, to be exact, is the title of the series. Thank you, Ms. Ashley. And so at this time, we, uh, uh, we want to continue to talk about social networks. Now, I know for some of you probably just even hearing this, you're thinking, okay, I've grounded my kids from the social network, and now they're talking about it at church, or I've refused, I boycotted it. And listen, this is not a series to encourage you to go out and to give away your free private information uh, so that somebody can monetize and make money off of you. Um, but it is to recognize something about this world in which we live and how these entrepreneurs are looking deep into our minds, our psyches, even maybe even our souls, and they're realizing there's things about us that they have, can monetize, that they can capitalize on that, that we want. And there's an app for that. And, and, and they will go out and we'll give our stuff away for free to them so they can learn about us and market to us. But it's more than that. We use it to connect with others. And it's a part of our living social because God made us to live socially. Now, as we live in a more progressive, developed society, we become more isolated by our own choices. And we selectively open ourselves up and we selectively give ourselves away. And we selectively, maybe even to our own spouse, we don't, we don't share the deepest parts of who we are. And maybe there's not even somebody in your world, in your life, that you can call a deep enough friend that you could bear your soul to. And I do not believe that's the way God designed us to live. He called us, I believe, and designed us to live in a social way. Now, last week we talked about Facebook, and Facebook is hitting a particular niche. This week we're going to talk about Twitter. Now, some of y'all think, well, don't even know what Twitter is. Hang on to that, okay? We'll, we'll kind of help you in a moment with that. But, uh, you, but one of the things that's kind of frustrating about so, all the social networking and social media out there is there's not really an etiquette, okay? What you can take a photo of, what you can post, what you can retweet, and what you can do. You know, I even made fun last week, people going out in their backyard, taking pictures of their feet and their food. And I didn't think they would actually do it at the same time, but somebody actually sent me a photo this week of their feet and, and their food. And, uh, and so, you know, if that works for you and it tastes good, go for it. Um, and they were in the last service, but uh, the, um, the, uh, the reality is, is that there's not a lot of etiquette. In fact, uh, I want to show you a little video introduce you to some maybe phrases and terms that you are not familiar with, but it'll also show you the struggle of etiquette on social media, Twitter. All right, go for it, guys. Hey, did you see that tweet I sent yesterday? No, were you retweeting another compliment? Huh? Yeah, retweeting a compliment is the same thing as bragging, even if you add means a lot at the end. What's wrong with that? Well, if we're at a party and I say, nice shirt, would you stand up and say, hey, everybody, this person said I had a nice shirt. No, I wouldn't do that. Same thing. Interesting. Coming from the guy who tweets at least seven times a day about his blog post. I'm accounting for different time zones. Just saying. If you promote something on Twitter more than three or four times, it's probably doing more harm than good. Well, as long as we're dishing out Twitter advice, easy on the hashtags. All right, I've got better things to do with my time than try to decipher where all the spaces go. Well, at least I don't use the word hashtag in real life. Hey, anybody seen my keys? Hashtag, I'm in a huge hurry. Supposed to be me? Yeah, minus the receding hairline. 
Right. You still use lockers with a Z for your photos. Ever heard of Instagram? You still tweet like 200 times about that awesome thing that you're doing, which is so awesome that you're having to type a tweet about it instead of actually experiencing it. Okay, speaking of time, enough with the that time tweets, all right? That time that got a flat tire. That time that I ran into that famous person. It's a sentence fragment. You're going to tell me about sentence fragments? Yes. You spell the word because, C-U-Z. You tweet about things that people don't care about. What? Name one person who cares you're going to get jeans. Well, then how do you think I have so many followers? Well, huh? because you follow thousands of people in hopes that they'll follow you back. Well, at least I'm not having two-way conversations with people. Ever heard of texting? You still think all your followers see your replies. Wait, time out. What? Yeah, if you start a tweet with a username, only that person and the people that follow you both see the tweet. Huh. Yeah, that's why people put the period before the username sometimes, so that everyone can see it. That's great. And I just found out. Time man, you still have your Twitter connected to Foursquare. No one cares that you checked in at Applebee's. Well, you tweet twice in a row to squeeze more than 140 characters in. Kind of defeats the purpose. You still use Echo Phone. You still use Follow Friday. You never favorite tweet. You only favorite tweets. You tweet too many quotes. You quote too many tweets. You guys do realize you could just unfollow each other, right? Well, uh -huh. we're friends. Yeah, it'd be awkward. Social media, we're trying to figure it all out and what it says about us and so forth. But, uh, you know, I, we did a study last, or a survey last week in, in our congregation. We're going to do it again a little bit so you can get your phones out. You can uh, text here in just a few moments. But we did a survey asking how many people um, actually have a Facebook account because we talked about last week. And, you know, not a big surprise, but 78% of us have Facebook accounts or 77% of us have Facebook accounts. And most of us look at it multiple times a day. And over, if you look at 40, 41% of us are pretty compulsive about it. They do it uh, more than they eat, uh, maybe more than they go to the bathroom. But uh, they, they, so Facebook's a pretty popular thing out there for sure to say the least. But what is it about Facebook? And when you go back, and I, I watched an old uh, YouTube, in fact, I posted it, so you can look at it online, uh, about uh, 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 where Mark Zuckerberg uh, talked about starting Facebook and what Facebook was all about and his intense, uh, original intents for it. And he makes this statement. I think it's very, uh, very intuitive here. So watch this statement. He says, if it wasn't our goal to make an online community, but to mirror a real community in life. That statement right there tells you the very heart and soul and intent of what Facebook. We want to mirror a real community. Some people have made their community Facebook, okay? But what we need to learn about Facebook is maybe how to be doing community in real time with real people. And what does it say about us? And I think Facebook says one thing. I think Twitter says one thing. Facebook, I believe, says that we all want meaningful community, okay? If you remember last week, one of the life principles I said is that we all long to belong and to be liked. Two features that are on Facebook galore, okay? Belong, friend requesting, want to be a part of that, invited to a group, things like that. Gives us a sense of belonging. We want to belong, but we also like it when you like our silly cat photos. And we like it when you like our post. And we get this dopamine drip whenever you like something. So we like that, that sense of belonging and that sense of affirmation. Zuckerberg is just doing what we want. We want to be a part of a community. But you know what the Bible says that? 
He says two are better than one in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 9. Jesus even said that I'm going to be optimally, I'm going to give priority to, I'm going to give myself to in a very real way when there's two or three are gathered together in my name. Where two or three are gathered together as my followers, I am there among them. So I will say this, that Jesus is partial to community. He's partial to you being with one another, you sharing in meaningful, valuable community with one another where you belong and you are liked and loved in that community. What does Twitter say about us? I believe Twitter says that we all need meaningful communication. Meaningful communication. Now, you got to go back to the origination of Twitter, okay? you got to go back to Jack Dorsey whenever he founded Twitter back in 2000 for his Oakland company that he was trying to get communication dispatches out to various sources, out to taxis and couriers and emergency vehicles, how you could quickly communicate in about 140 characters how, what, when, where, and why. Okay, whatever it was that you needed to communicate out there, that was why Twitter was founded. And now, of course, it's become its own little thing. It's become its own source of communication, its own source of trends and so forth that are set, that are out there. Do you have a Twitter account? That's the question we want to ask. So here's a survey, okay? Here, here's the question. If you were to, uh, if you weren't here last week, it was probably you'll need to do this exercise. Is 22333. Type that. Uh, you're going to type uh, to that address, okay? And you're going to type these words, GPC, or these letters, GPC, NWA. Okay, then you're going to get a text back. When you get that text back, you're going to answer this question. Do you have a Twitter account? Now, you've got three options. If you don't know what a Twitter is, okay, then just you obviously are that person. All right, letter C, all right? Put a letter C in there, send it back, okay? And it's going to populate into our survey. If you have one, yes. If you don't, then no, okay? This just helps us to kind of see kind of where we are in the social media context of our own congregation of those. But if you want to understand, again, what Twitter is, And I think of it about like this. It's short burst. Short because it's only 140 characters. That's spaces and everything. 140 characters. Short burst of thought, of wisdom, of humor, of sarcasm. I'll even say this. Some people have turned Twitter into passive aggressive behavior. It's like, I'm not going to say it to your face, but I'm going to go tweet about it. And you'll find people that will talk all kinds of ugly about somebody that they won't say it to their face. And so they'll tweet about it. But it's one of these things that we use to get short bursts of communication out, whatever it may be, hopefully for the good. Now, the thing is, is that you can say, hey, you know, that's going to be one of those things that's going to come and go, and Twitter's really not that big of a deal, and I don't even know what a Twitter is, and all that kind of stuff. Listen, wake up to reality. Twitter is shaping the globe, literally, 2011 to be exact. In April, in the Arab Spring, whenever across, beginning in Tunisia, across northern Africa, Africa, Libya, Egypt, Yemen, Bahrain, Saudi Arabia, across that Arab area of the world, there were great movements toppling governments that was happening and they call it the Arab Spring because this communication was going out. Hey, there's riots over here. So all these movement makers would go over here and be joining the riot. Hey, there's more over here. Hey, the police are cracking down over here. And they turned over governments using Twitter. It has a incredible impact. Listen, even the war that we're fighting today in Syria was fueled in communication by Twitter. 
So when you think about Twitter, you can't just mark it off and you may not be for you. I get it. But here's what it says. Communication is powerful. And it doesn't even have to be long communication. It doesn't have to be dissertations. It doesn't have to be books. It doesn't have, listen, it could be 140 characters and you can change a country. Or how about this? 140 characters and you can change someone's life. What if we used our words to change lives? I want you to think with me for a moment. We're going to come back to it in a moment. But I want you to think and just begin the wheels churning. What's the most meaningful statement that replays in your head? The most meaningful statement that if you were to draw from the most meaningful statement, by the way, this is going to be a question in your community thoughts group later on this week, so get ready for it. What is the most meaningful statement somebody has ever made to you? Write it down. Okay? Because you can change lives. This is what Leonard Sweet said in his book, Viral, How Social Networking is Poised poised to Ignite a Revival. He said, social media, such as Twitter, can be retooled as a discipleship tool. It can be a transformative vehicle of faith, a powerful spiritual discipline, a, a relational connector to God, fellow Christians, and the world through Twitter. When you think about it, when you go to the scriptures and you were to open up and you were to find one of your favorite verses out there, I dare you to count the characters in those verses because I would dare say that most of the verses you've got memorized or most of the verses that really mean the most to you are probably within the span of about 140 characters, plus or minus. I want to give you some of 140 character verses that just to show you how powerful just a few short words and how it could change your life. Here's one, Psalm 37, verse uh, 30. It says it like this, the godly offer good counsel. They teach right from wrong. Wow. They teach right from wrong. You want to find out, you want to help your kids know right from wrong? Guess what? Get them with godly people. That's 140 characters. That's something you can hang your hat on. That's something you can live by. Do I have godly counsel in my life? That's something you can meditate on all day long. It's 140 characters. It can make change your life. It may give you a new direction and path just by finding godly counsel in 140 characters. Here's another one. Psalm 40, verse 4. A little longer, but it's still within that window. Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord who does not look to the proud, to those who turn aside the false gods. A little longer, but I think it does speak to you. If you break down the, I think Jesus, if he was walking on the earth today, I think he'd have a Twitter account. I totally believe that. Because when you look at the Sermon on the Mount and you break it down, there are more tweetable single sentence statements in in the Sermon on the Mount that are just instantly tweetable, okay? Instantly within that 140 characters, I want to pull one out of each chapter just to, just to show you. Chapter 5, verse 8, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. That's one of those that I have memorized long ago, blessed are the pure in heart. God, is my heart pure? Are my thoughts pure? Here's the beauty of it. When, I, when my heart and my life is pure, God, I see you. The fog lifts, the, the pollution goes, and, and I see you. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Here's one. No one can serve two masters. No one can serve two masters. Who are you serving? Who's your daddy? Right? Who, who's telling you what to do? Who are you bowing to? 
boss, I know, and I, I, get, I get all that, but, 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 but what about the God of the almighty dollar? Is he your master? Because you can't have two masters. You only have one. Figure out who your master is. Of course, you know what Jesus is trying to get at. I need to be your master. And he goes on and talks about, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these things will be added to you. Who's your master? Who's your daddy? All right, Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. That's a sobering statement, isn't it? Tweet that into your life every day before you go to work. Tweet that into your life every time you you go to school and you look at somebody across the room and you start judging them. Tweet that next time to yourself, that is. All right? 140 characters can change a life. Here's one more. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 21. It's one we're going to kind of launch from. The tongue can bring death or life. The tongue can bring death or can bring life. Now, here's a question for you on this one. Does your communication, do your words, do they bring life to people or death to people? Because again, people use Twitter as a passive aggressive thing. They use communication as something to jib and jab and and get at somebody and to tear down somebody and to break down somebody and to take the life out of somebody. Or switch it around, use your words to bring life to someone. How many of y'all got a little card when you came in? Hold it up in the air, okay? All right, hold it. I want to see it up in the air, okay? This is your tweet for the day, okay? Here's what I want to challenge you to do. Write someone. Write some, you can tune me out at any time. I get boring, okay? Which is really soon. Uh, to, and, and tweet. I'll give you 140 words, not 140 characters, Okay? Write somebody that you know that comes to your mind immediately that you know needs encouragement. Somebody that's broken down, somebody that's beaten down, somebody that, gosh, you know what? I I should have said something to them on Friday, but I didn't. And you know what? You're going to forget about it on Monday, so do it now. Write it. Write on the card right now. And if you want to, because you're writing it on a church card on the back, you know, we're going to mail it for you, okay? If you want to, you can take it and do it yourself. But this is just something that you are going to bring life to somebody. Words can bring life or death. You're going to bring life to somebody and you're going to just write something out to them. And you're going to write it out. And what we have in the back on your way out are two like little offering boxes, okay? They're going to be mailboxes today as well. Okay, you can drop your offering in there too. But mailbox, you drop it in there. We're going to mail it out for you, okay? So that's just a a thought for you. Be sure to put their address on there. It'll be hard to get to them otherwise. But that's, uh, that's for you. That's your assignment during the series, during this message, do whatever. We've got to figure out how we can use our words for the greatest impact to bring life. And here's what I want to say to this. Encourage one another. Encourage one another. Take your Bibles and let's look at in Hebrews. Hebrews is a book that... Um, that has a lot of mystery to it. We don't know much about it. We'll be there in a moment. But uh, as, as you turn to Hebrews, we're going to be in uh, chapter 3. Uh, we've been talking about last week, the next couple of weeks, we've been talking about the 55 one another's. And well, I'm trying to throw as many one another's into each message as I can. Uh, I don't know, I hit about 20 last week. And so I'll hit a few more this week. And so you just catch all these one another's because they're all throughout the New Testament. Every writer just about uses a one another and challenges us to do a one another. But what does a one another mean? Who, how, how well do you do one another's with one another? What's one another mean? Well, it's about a relationship. It's about a relationship and you break it down in this relationship. It's about mutuality in the relationship. 
There needs to be a mutuality between your, you and one another. And I, I want to encourage you to find and identify two, three, four, five. If you can get up to five people that you'll live life and do one another's with, consider yourself blessed. Where they're going to live one another's with you and you're going to live one another's with them and you're going to be one another buddies together. And I would really suggest same gender, okay? And yes, you can use your spouse, count them as one. That's like that bingo square in the middle. That's one free one, okay? The rest of them you need to fill up. You need to figure that out because that one another needs to be somebody very much that you are in a mutual relationship, but also needs to be somebody that that honoring, okay? It's an honoring relationship. You have greater value because of this relationship. Some of y'all are in romantic relationships with people right now that you have less value than you do a, a rank stranger. That's not good. What does your relationship draw up and give you a higher value and them a higher value. All right, number three is that it's edifying. I'm better, I'm stronger, I'm able to handle life because of the relationships that I have around me. Okay, Hebrews. Hebrews is a book, again, shrouded in mystery. We don't know much about it. We don't know when it was written, although we believe it was written before A.D. 70 because it keeps referring back to the temple and the temple and the temple and all the Old Testament, Old Testament ways. But it also, we don't know who wrote it. Okay, whether it was Paul or Paulus or Barnabas, there's a whole list of names we don't really know. It's actually one of the latter books to actually be accepted into the canon of the New Testament. That's the collection of books of the New Testament. It's one of the latter books, but it has such importance. You almost couldn't leave it out. It agrees with all the other books. That's one of the reasons that it's in there. It's, it was considered uh, authoritative. It was considered scriptural, in, even in the earliest of early churches' uh, writings. But it's, we, we still much we don't know about it. It really joins the Old and the New Testament together. But it also shows us a group of struggling people. Let me tell it to you like this: Who are literally, they're on the, they're on the prep, they're on the edge, they're on the precipice of falling off in the faith, of giving up, of throwing it in, and they need to have one another's back here, pulling them back and encouraging them and fanning them. And if you don't have those one another's in your life, you're going to get to the edge one day. And if there's not a one another watching you you'll fall. And when you fall, it hurts really, really bad. Verse 12 of chapter 3 says, take care, brothers. Do you hear the warning in that? Hear the tone in that? Take care, brothers. Lest there be any of, any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Sometimes you're at the edge and somebody's already fallen and they're going to pull you down. It's a lot easier to pull someone down than it is to pull someone up. And so beware of that. Beware that you're take care, cautious, but exhort one another. Exhort one another every day, as long as it's called a day, that none of you may be hardened. Where do you see that word twice in here in a moment? By the deceitfulness of sin, for we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. It is said, and he quotes from Psalm 95 here, today, if you hear his voice, today, listen, 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 I'm leaning on you guys, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. 
there's a real important warning for us. And there's a real important reassuring element. And that reassuring element that helps me get through those tough times, that helps me pull back from the edge, that helps me keep from following, that helps me even when I do fall to get me back up again. And it's simple encouraging one another. Let me give you two reasons why you and I need one another's encouraging one another as I need to be one another encouraging them. One is encouragement has a short shelf. Short shelf life. Say that three times fast. Short shelf life. He noticed what he said. He said, exhort one another according to the ESV translation that I use. I looked up this, uh, this Greek word parakaleo uh, this past week and I looked at the various different translations and the very different uses of it throughout the New Testament. It's a very common word. 24 times it's used urge, 16 times comfort, uh, 14 times encourage, plead, urge, comfort, beg, appeal. You can see inside of this word an energy, a passion, a compassion, an empathy. You can see within it in the uses of it. It's this energetic, hey, you're in trouble. You're in a danger zone. Let's come back. And there's some people in your life right now that, man, they're walking out on their marriage. They're walking out on their job. They're walking out on life. Man, what they need is they need somebody in their world, in their life, encouraging them, speaking hope and truth and life into them. Listen, the power of this parakaleo is transformative. One of the uses is in Acts chapter 14, verse 22, whenever Paul and Barnabas are at Derby and they are encouraging parakaleo, the brothers, and it says this, it was strengthening the souls of the disciples. Just meditate on that phrase strengthening the souls of the disciples. You know what you do when you encourage one another, when we, you encourage me and I encourage you? We give strength to someone's soul. Strength to someone's being. Their life gets changed when we encourage someone. Now I have to confess, encouragement doesn't come natural to me. And if you work close to me, you know that. I'm really good at instructing you. I'm really good at telling you what's wrong and how to fix it. I'm really good at admonishment. But encouragement I have to work on, okay? So here's three tips that I am learning and trying to practice in my own practices of encouragement. Number one is be specific and intentional with the words you speak. Be specific. Don't be general. Hey, ha, ha, you, you did a good job. No, no. How did the how was it good? You, oh, okay, good report card. How was the report card good? Get into the details. You worked really hard. You gave a lot of time. You did your best. Whatever it is, get in there and get specific. Listen, our words need to. Be, bring edification. Let no unwholesome word proceed out of your mouth, but only such a word as it brings edification. That is a building and a bolstering up, putting reinforcements in someone's life. That's what happens when we encourage one another. Romans 14, verse 19. We pursue the things that make for peace and, read it with me, building up of one another. My words, when given intentionally, when given specifically, 
can build somebody up or can tear them down. I told you our, an assignment in Communitas Group this week is to come up with the most powerful statement that somebody has ever given you. It didn't take me two seconds when I asked myself the same question. Dr. Howard Hendricks is by far one of my all-time favorite professors and had him for two, two classes right before he retired. And I took, in the last day of class, I took one of the books that he had written. I took it to him and I asked him to, to just sign it because I want to have his, you know, signature in it. And he, he, he wrote this statement, Mike, you impress me more than you can imagine. You impress me. Now, this is a professor that's taught so many other preachers and trained so many other people. And, and he writes, Mike, you impress me more than you can imagine. I didn't even have to go pull the book off the shelf because it was in my heart. It was in my soul. Listen, your words that are spoken intentionally and specifically to somebody can make a huge impact. Number two, this is my tips. Make your own tip list, if you will. Accept each other unconditionally. Accept each other unconditionally. Now, there is a big, vast difference between tolerance and acceptance. Tolerance is born in the petri dish of relative truth. It's born in this little, all truth is relative. You do what you want to do. Hey, let's break down the moral codes. Let's rewrite morality. Let's rewrite what's right and wrong. Because listen, I don't want to offend you and you don't want to offend me. You do what you want to do and I'll do what I want to do and it's all going to be happy in the end, right? That's what tolerance tells us is the way that we should live. That's what the society is telling us we should live. The only problem with that is tolerance leads to anarchy. If you play that thought philosophy out all the way, we have no rules or no reason to enforce rules whatsoever on planet Earth. We are having laws passed today that my grandmother would blush at because in a matter of a generation or two, we're rewriting things. Tolerance is not what we're aiming at. Acceptance is. Acceptance is born in the Petri dish of the gospel truth not relative truth, of gospel truth, where I accept you for who you are. I accept you and I love you and I embrace you. Doesn't mean I have to agree with you. Doesn't mean I'm going to say what you're doing or not doing is right or wrong. But I'm just, listen, I, 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 listen, I accept you. Romans chapter 15, verse 7, therefore accept one another just as Christ also. Now think about this. On the same standard, in the same way that Christ also accepted us. Stop. That's what I'm saying. Acceptance is born in the Petri dish of gospel truth. How does Jesus accept us? Does he just say, hey, come on, come on, come on. Come on. Everybody's, everybody's welcomed here. Woman caught in adultery, you know, come on in. No, no. He said, woman caught in adultery, what did he say? He said, I'm not going to throw stones at you, but listen, go and sin no more. He called him to a higher standard. See, acceptance doesn't mean that I accept your lifestyle. I accept you. It doesn't mean you accept everything about me. But you accept me and we love each other through it and we let God do the great redemption. What tolerance leads to anarchy, acceptance leads to redemption. 
when God does a beautiful work in our life. It's not my job to change you. It's my job to accept you and let God change you. Can I get an amen to that? I accept you. I love you. But I'm going to let God change you. I, I love a church had it on its marquee one time. Welcome, pimps, prostitutes, and perverts. Well, how would you like that if we had a big sign out there? Tops, hot club, whatever, gentlemen's club, whatever is around here. Hey, y'all, y'all are welcome at Grace Point. I'd love it. I get emails continuously from people or Facebook messages or something like that. Hey, this is what I'm struggling with. Can I come to Grace Point? I love those emails because I respond with, you better believe it. I welcome you. You're accepted here. We're going to let God do some work in your life because he's still working on my life. God knows that. All right. Number three. Third tip to bring encouragement to someone every day in their life. This may be hard. may be hard for all of us. Be fully present with one another. Fully present with one another. I know we get these things going and we get it next to our appointments and we get the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. Let me tell you the story of a person. And we come up with all these answers of what we need to tell that other person. And so we just go in and unload and we think our unloading helped them. Let me tell you of a, of a man who lost three children. Bury one child? I can't imagine. Bury two? Bury three? Can you imagine as a parent? We have three kids. If we buried all of our kids, they, were, they all died at separate times in this man's life. He wrote this little story. He says, I was sitting torn by grief. Someone came and talked to me of God's dealings, of why it happened of hope beyond the grave. He talked constantly. He said things I knew were true. I was unmoved, except to wish that he would go away. He finally did. Another came and sat beside me. He didn't talk. He didn't ask leading questions. He just sat beside me for an hour or more, listened when I said something, answered briefly, prayed simply, and left. I was moved. I was comforted. I hated to see him go. The power of presence, fully present in someone's life, may be the greatest encouragement you could give them. Number two, reason. We need encouragement daily. Sin has a destructive pattern. If there's not this pouring in of daily encouragement, remember what he said, encourage each other daily while it's still called today. Emphasis is what's going on right now in their life. We need to be in their life speaking encouragement. If there's that empty shell of lack of encouragement and you go one day and then you go two days. Now think about it in your marriage. You go three days, you go four days, you go five days. What happens to the soul of a person like that? I want to say what Satan does is he moves in. He moves into that void. He sets up residence, verse 13. 
But exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that, there's the reason why, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. What happens is whenever there is this void of dis, the void of encouragement, all there is around us is discouragement. We have these voices. I don't know. I don't, maybe I'm talking about myself here. But I have these voices that play in my head. I have these recordings that play in my head. I have these things that I say to myself again and again. And sometimes they're not all that good. And sometimes the voice I hear is not all that encouraging. And whenever there's not encouragement in my life, then all of a sudden it's backfilled with darkness and lies. And there's two effects of that. One, he mentions them right there. It hardens us, creates a shell around us. And I get it because it creates a defense mechanism of our, of, our, of our heart. It's been stamped on. It's been trampled on. It's been hurt. It's been broken. It's been betrayed. It's had all these things that have hit it, and we haven't been encouraged through it. And so what do we do? We just close in. We get hard. We close off people. If Satan can't make you dirty, he'll make you depressed. And he will do that through a hardened heart. The second, I want to end on this one, is it opens the door to deceit, to lies. He mentioned there, he said, you got to encourage everyone daily, but it's still called today, the hardened of their hearts, unless none of them, the hardened of their hearts, by the deceitfulness of sin. Now, you might think, oh, okay, the emphasis here in this verse is on sin. Now, oh, you don't want sin to enter in. No, it's actually the emphasis on deceitfulness. Deceitfulness is what will enter in. What's deceit? It's a lie. What happens if I, don't have, if I have false bad messages playing off in my head? Things that my dad said to me, things that my mom said to me, things that my uncle said to me, things that a teacher said to me back then that was so hurtful, so harmful. And I hear that over and over and over again. Guess what records in my mind and what plays in my mind is that message. And maybe they didn't say anything. Maybe it's just the way I interpreted what happened in my life. That's why the past so much shapes our present and our future. And unless we have that dose of encouragement, the deceitfulness of sin moves in. This is not the only time it's used. Matthew 13, 22, it talks about the deceitfulness of riches move in. Deceitfulness of lust moves in. Deceitfulness of whatever, fill in the blank, moves in. But it's the lie that moves in. What are the lies? The lie that we say about others. Uh, You know, we start blaming others. We start poking at others. We start throwing stones at others. But here's the worst one, or here's the one that I think happens more than any, is the lies we say to ourselves about ourselves. We say things about ourselves. I, I, I believe that 90, 90, 95 maybe percent of all suicides are because the deceitfulness of sin has moved in. Mike, that's what we mean to talk about sin. The person, poor person's committed suicide. Get it, get it. Get it. It's the deceitfulness of sin that moved in because it, what, 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 the, the, the lie is this, is that you're worthless. You, you've done some really stupid stuff. You know what? This world would be better off without you. You know, you can't recover from this. You've got a mark on you now that you're going to have to wear that mark for the rest of your life. You might as well just, you might as well just quit. You might as well just end it all. That's what plays in the head. 
unless you have another voice, unless you have a one another out there, unless you have something out there, somebody out there, I want to say it's God and other people speaking truth and encouragement into you, we will believe that lie and we will get sucked in. See, it's not, we are not what we are. We are not what we think we are. We are what we think other people think we are. That's when we believe lies. And this is the beauty of this right here. This is the power of a community that sees this. Okay, listen, I need encouragement. You need encouragement. I need you. You need me. We need one another 55 times. We need one another. That's why in chapter 3, he says, encourage each other daily. Why still call it daily? Why when you go over to chapter 10, verse 25, you're going to find that he's going to say, hey, you need one another's to encourage one another. Let us not neglect our meeting together. Just pause right there. A lot of churches have used this for the reason you need to be a part of a church. And let me just say, it is one of the reasons you need to have a faith family. Stop dating churches, okay? Going to this church for a while, going to that church for a while. Stop dating and get married. That means get committed. Have a covenant relationship. Pour in. Give one another and expect one another back. Because we need one another Stop neglecting the me. I get we got sports teams, we got travel teams, we got everything that pulls away. And it's 80 degrees out there right now. Who wants to be inside? That's right. You're about to get to go outside too. As soon as I shut up, you can go home. And go on the back porch and take pictures of your feet and your food and all that stuff. Let us not neglect the meeting together of one another. As some people do. Some people take it pretty lightly. But encourage one another. If you're not in one another's lives, guess what? You will not find an encourager. And you know what? There's people who need you to encourage them and you need their encouragement. Um, uh, about nine months ago, this series was, was conceived in my heart. I told you a little bit of the story last week. It was conceived in my heart whenever a friend and a counselor asked me, Mike, who do you do one another's with? And I, what? I, you know, I tried to piece together two or three people. And yeah, well, this is kind of my one another over here. And this is kind of my one another over, over here. No, he didn't, he didn't buy it. And, uh, it was a dark, 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 dark time for me. And um, I realized, though, in 25 years, in 25 years I've been doing this, 25 years of ministry, I realized I had some people that did one another's with me. You know, Christians are really bad about shooting their wounded, kicking them to curbs. But I never needed the church like I needed the church then. And thank God that this church was here. Thank God that I had people that did one another's with me. I want to do one another's with you. But I need you to do one another's with me. And we need to do it together. Would you bow your head with me? Father, We need one another. You designed us that way. 
You wouldn't have said it 55 times, inspired it and put it in the, into the mind of Paul and put it in the mind of John, put it in the mind of Peter. You wouldn't have put it, Jesus himself saying that we ought to love one another first and foremost. Lord, you, it, we need one another's. We need one another. And I would pray that, Lord, everyone in this room would have three, four, five people that they can do one another with well. That they belong and are liked. They have community. That they have meaningful communication that gives life and not death. Calls them up and calls them out, accepts them, Lord, doesn't tolerate sin, but accepts them as a person so that your redemptive work can happen. Lord Jesus, thank you so much that you accepted us and you made us a part of, and Lord, then you take us and you put us into a church that is built around the concept of meeting together and encouraging one another whether it's in a home or a coffee shop, whether it's on Wednesday night in a youth small group or it's here on Sunday morning or wherever. Let us be good and do well at one another's. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.